holding holding the team, holding your people to a high bar, but also affording them grace when they when they do maybe make a mistake or knowing that there's something going on behind the scenes has been a huge theme for me over the last couple of years. And um, that's probably one of my biggest takeaways. Every single individual has a story to tell. And they're great stories that need to be heard. I want every listener to know they have the ability to change the world. Welcome to the 1720 Podcast. What's up, Mountain Movers? Welcome back to the 1720 Podcast. Today, we're honored to have our friend Lauren Ladowski joining us. Welcome to the show, Miss Lauren. Thank you. Uh, what's What's cool about this this uh, this guest in this story is we have a story of how we met, mm-hmm. and it kind of backs up to a flight that you had from Chicago to Dallas or Dallas to Chicago? Dallas to Chicago. Dallas to Chicago, and one of my best buds, Nick Petroselli, grew up with him in Chicago, known him since I was five years old. I don't know if you knew that. Yep. He said you were in each other's weddings. Yeah. In okay. each other's, like, uh, we were called the little rascals. We were called other things by teachers and principals at school. <laughs> Uh, we've had our highs and lows, uh, but he's super successful, charismatic dude, as I'm sure you've mm-hmm. you've come to know. But he reached out one day and he's like, hey, man, met this awesome leader on an airplane. She's in construction in the space you are and she's moving there. She might need some tips and tricks. You should hit her up. Yeah. And so knowing that I did that in 2010, I was like shot out of a cannon. I'm like, Lauren, let's meet up. What do you want to do? Let's get some lunch. I'll I'll try to give you as many shortcuts as I can. And And so we show up and we start talking. And I, I introduce you to Melanie or, or make a follow-up to that. I talk about Texo. We talk about Trek. We talk about all the things in the lay of the land. But then we started talking about spouses or at the time it was fiance. Mm-hmm. And you find out I'm in the glass world and Jeff's in the glass world. Mm-hmm. And he was obviously moving here with you and he hadn't found a job. And it was like, get him out here. <laughs> this is way too much of a small world stars aligning moment right. for this not to work out. Right. And I've come to know and love Jeff and Jeff's a really good friend now. And you are super successful in Dallas, Fort Worth at Arco Murray. So pretty cool experience and story. Yeah, I know. I do love that story. Cause, uh, mostly the reason that I met Nick was because I was late for my flight. Um, and, uh, I think he he was just very generous. I walked on the plate all plane all sweaty and uh, flustered from being late because I try to time my flight so that I'm walking up to the gate as we're boarding. I like that. You're uh, a thrill seeker. <laughs> right. <laughs> Got to be efficient. Drives yeah. Jeff absolutely nuts. I think he's come to sort of accept it now. Uh, but Nick was awesome and chatted with him for a while. And I'm very glad that he introduced me to you. And you were just one of many people that made my move to Dallas just awesome. And everyone was so welcoming. You wanted to introduce me to five, six people. And everyone that I met with would then try to introduce me to five, six people. And that's really how I've started to build my network here. And it's been a ton of fun. Yeah, well, welcome to Texas, right? Yeah. Super friendly. So this is, I know this, I'm saying it as a, as a like a primer, but this is not a Jeff. This is the Jeff. This is Jif Jeff. Right, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff. <laughs> GIF Jeff. Yes. Oh, is it GIF yes. Jeff? Yeah. Uh, well, Jeff, you yeah. say GIF, but yes, D-Brad you created a GIF yeah. of Jeff. But it sounds cooler <laughs> when you say GIF Jeff. <laughs> no, I just been thinking. I was like, I just need to say GIF Jeff. How do I work this in? <laughs> <laughs> yes, same Jeff. Yeah. Okay. I just want to say GIF Jeff. Really, that's it. So you're welcome, GIF Jeff. Jeff. Um, all right. We small world story. Also hilarious because on the heels of your Disney trip, it's a small. There you go. Yeah. yeah. That's um, a very long ride. Full of animatronic, crazy, scary people. From Have you ever 50s. been to Disney? I haven't been. Okay. I've been to Disneyland, not World. 
Do they have the same crazy, like, 1960s scary murder animatronics at Disneyland, too, right? They, no? I think so. I haven't been there in a while. Okay. Yeah, it's scary. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> insta-ditch, uh, but let's try to pull the rails back. Who's Lauren? Yeah. Oh, who's Lauren? Um, so, I was born and raised outside Chicago. I am the daughter to two very supportive parents. The oldest sister to two very young and hilarious younger brothers. I am the leader of a business that I'm very passionate about and uh, in an industry that I'm very excited to be in. And the wife to uh, an amazing husband and best friend who I adore, we've already talked about. And uh, I love sports, travel, skiing, uh, music, concerts, and uh, red wine. That's me in a nutshell. That was a great elevator pitch. Somebody worked on that. I, I took notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I> took notes. <laughs> that was Jeff, awesome. Jeff Jeff said that she had so many notes, we'd be here for eight hours. But I can tell already <laughs> we're like super prepped. So that's very nicely done. I just really need to go back in the ditch though real quick. Yep. Because it's <laughs> off It's off the heels of Disney World. Like you time a flight, timing an Uber. Like when I'm leaving Magic Kingdom... I call the Uber and then I tell her whatever, because it's kind of roll the dice, how many minutes it's going to be. Mm-hmm. could be three, could be 10. Mm-hmm. And it's like two minutes. We got a two minute walk right now because yep. I like that dude pulling up the second we're there and it, it stresses her out. <laughs> I so, do the same thing leaving an airport, walking you, off the plane, ordering an Uber, no matter how far the gate is from where they're going to pick me up. Has your score suffered because of it? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm probably. a 4.81, which I think is low. I actually don't know what mine is. It, I I got a one because of not being picked up at a concert. <laughs> so there's just no recovering from that. No, you got to start a new account. You just got to be like, no, I'm not Kevin Carey. I'm Devin Carey. Yeah. And just go from there. Yep. Nivek. Just Kevin spelled backwards. <laughs> you could do that too. <laughs> Man, Bring so, us back, Stewie. Super ditch. Okay. So through your like quick elevator pitch, I tried to write down, the, you were using some like bracketing words and I was like, oh, that's like perfect. And one of the things you said was, supporting parents mm-hmm. take me there why did, why did you why did you put your parents in that box not that they don't belong there i'm sure they do but like that's the box you chose why yeah uh no i feel like i'm a very family oriented person and i think part of the success that i've been afforded over the course of my career course of my life is because that they were totally behind everything that i wanted to do everything that i wanted to try as a kid uh they didn't always agree with it but again we're still supportive and uh, I think through school early on with sports, my dad was always a, a coach or assistant coach or just all of my parents or both of my parents and um, my brothers always attended sporting events and anything that I tried. So uh, just very loving, very open, very supportive through my childhood. Supportive could be equaling showing up. Yeah. Showing up through coaching and all that sort of stuff. Yep. Very involved. What's the sport du jour? What's the choice there? Uh, there was a lot. So started off with t-ball moved into softball sorry no basketball ever that's okay Uh, we'll talk about it anyway (laughs) that's true (laughs) uh gymnastics and uh volleyball in high school i did cross country and then in college like a whole nother group of sports and what's your boxing record (laughs) one and one (laughs) uh yeah college was i got really into flag football uh still did volleyball co-rec softball broom ball and then did club boxing that was one that where my mom was definitely not supportive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been rooting for you all this time, Lauren, but I got to take a stand. 
Okay, so take me back to like what that su- supportive looks like as a little kid. And I'll tell you the reason I'm asking the question is because my kids, like, I feel like I haven't fostered their entrepreneurial spirit because oftentimes they'll be like, hey, we want to sell gibbets on the curb. You know what gibbets are? No. Gibbets? Yes, I Because of church. <laughs> what are gibbets? The things you plug into Crocs. <laughs> yes. Anyway, oh, they're like, hey, we want to, so they'll like o- want to order gibbets on Amazon and like put a folding table up out at the, and it's and like, this is never going to work. Like this is, and I find myself being more of a antagonistic realist around their entrepreneurial spirits than supportive. Like, is that different or same? Or like, is that resonate with you? Or like, I'm trying to just like claw into like supportive and from your parents in that context. Probably relatively accurate. I don't think it was go do whatever you want at all times. I think it was, there's a little bit of coaching and a little bit of realism. Uh, I was the first child and the only girl. So there were also rules and structure. So I think that was also good for me too. I almost wonder if uh, when I do have kids, if I'll try to be a little less structured, especially with the girls to be a little more intentional about doing something weird and taking a little more risk. Uh, whereas I was a little more calculated and still am. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say there's there's a decent amount of realism that I got coaching from on them. Yeah. Okay. So that seems, that seems normative. The It will be interesting, like the parenting pendulum swings. Mm-hmm. Back and forth. And so I find myself parenting my kids like on the opposite swing of like, oh, my parents did that. I'm going to do it different. Or, my, you know, the, the pendulum is back and forth. And so finding like the equilibrium of it sometimes difficult because you're like, oh, that wasn't, we don't do it like that. And then you find yourself way swung over here and like, oh, I don't want to do it like that either. So yeah. Anyway, it'll be fun to see like how that works out. Yeah. There's a little bit of both. I mean, overall, my parents, uh, I do think that the family that eventually I wanted create uh i want to emulate what they created i mean we we always had family dinners went to church on sunday together went to all of each other's sporting events like there were a lot of love and hugs and just laughs so i i do really really love my family and it's a big priority of mine we're watching a show right now called in the dark have you ever seen it it's terrible you shouldn't see it it's about i'm terrible at watching tv it's about like uh the drug scene in chicago like there's it's like Breaking Bad slash Chicago, but it's on the CW, so you probably just shouldn't be watching it anyway. But in any event, growing up in Chicago, though, like suburbs, similar, close. How close were y'all at all? We kept moving away. So we were Burbank, Oaklawn, Orland Park. Mm. So Burbank and Oaklawn are both like right on the outskirts. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I'm a little further west. Gotcha. Uh, Naperville? Naperville area. Lyle, Illinois. Suburb of Naperville, some might say. Gotcha. Suburbs. So Chicago is big town, but you grew up in the suburbs. Yeah. Yeah. I usually say Chicago until I meet somebody like Lauren and then we start breaking it down. That's right. Until someone claims that I'm not actually from Chicago, which is accurate. Yeah. I mean, I do the same thing with Beaumont, but (laughs) (laughs) sorry, it's a little tiny town. So we had an Uber driver at Disney last week that. I said, Fort Worth. And he's like, no kidding. I'm from Mansfield. I'm like, I'm actually in Mansfield. I just didn't want to say Mansfield because- Nobody knows it except you. Yeah. So that was pretty crazy. Yeah. All right. So I missed all the other block adjectives. I was trying to write them down. That's the only one I got. Uh, but you blocked in your brothers, mm-hmm. younger brothers. Yep. Wiley, younger brothers. Yes. You said funny, but I yes. feel like I read between the lines on that. Hilarious. What's it like growing up with brothers? Uh, really great. I think uh, it was fun growing up because I was more interested in sports and um hanging out with my brothers and the neighbors in the backyard. And uh, they have challenged me to be better. My my youngest was super sweet. Luke and I are a little closer. We're only two years apart. 
but really trying to maintain that relationship as we've gotten older. Luke uh, did come to Notre Dame as well, so we were able to see each other in college a little more, but he's now in L.A., so now we've got to be a little more intentional to see each other. Um, But yeah, they they keep me on my toes. They are so funny to be around. I love when our whole family's together just laughing about the silliest stuff. Yeah. Did you have your eyes set on Notre Dame? Like, this is where I want to go. I'm only applying there, or is it like buckshot on all the schools i applied to a lot of schools yeah yeah. and uh actually my number one choice was northwestern didn't quite get in uh (sighs) ended up loving that uh i got to notre dame i had a really good friend in high school that took me there a couple times to a few football games and ended up falling in love and uh was was deciding between notre dame and iowa where my parents went yeah until like the last possible day that i had to make a call and chose notre dame and I don't want to put you on the spot, but isn't like the minimum ACT at Notre Dame like a 33? Possibly. (sighs) Out. I think it's actually gotten higher since I've been there. Like I think it's gotten harder to get in since I've been there. My goodness. Did you go on like a scholarship? I got a little bit of financial aid, yeah. Thank God for your parents. Two people at Notre Dame at the same time. That's a big bill. Yeah. Yep. Very thankful for them. Oh, yeah. Had a few loans after that too. <laughs> yeah. It took me about 10 years. I yeah. got, I remember getting that letter and I'm like, I want to frame this thing. <laughs> it literally took a decade to pay off. School. Yeah. That was a fun day. Oh, to yeah. pay that off. You got it paid off. Mm-hmm. Cheers to you. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. It is a, it is a fairly frameworthy moment, right? Cause yeah. you're like, this is a, something monumentous that I undertook that I'm now free and clear from. Yeah. Yeah. Kudos. Um, all right. What's it like being at Notre Dame? I know nothing about Notre Dame. West Bend? Is that where? South Bend. South Bend. So close. Man, I was so close. <laughs> it seems like a small school. Is it not? I mean, uh, about I, mean I know it's huge, huge but like following. huge following, but it like, I, f- I feel like if you're on campus, it feels quaint, would be my guess. That was actually a big reason why my dad really didn't like Notre Dame because he was like, everyone's a Notre Dame fan and no one went there. <laughs> uh, he ended up falling in love with it and was very happy that Luke decided to go there too and absolutely loves Notre Dame now. Um, but yeah, Notre Dame was a ton of fun, uh, big sports school, and I really liked the the atmosphere of activity and competition and surrounded by incredibly smart people. So, um, had a lot of fun. Really miss it. Major, major, major was? Like civil ha- engineering. Okay. Structural, civil engineering. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. With your eyes set on what? What you're doing now? Or no. what were you thinking Absolutely at the time? not. Uh, so when I graduated high school, so, okay, my dad's a salesman for an outdoor, uh, fishing hunting company. My mom's an English teacher. I graduated high school in the middle of a recession and engineering sounded like a great way to get a job after college. They basically said, go do something else. I always liked math. Uh, so it seemed like a good choice and explored a couple different concentrations of engineering when I got to college and eventually settled on civil just because it sounded cool. Yeah. Go build something cool eventually uh, or design something cool eventually. I really loved my structures class and uh, kind of fell into construction. I didn't actually put my my eyes on it until I had a couple internships and then decided that really what I loved in college and the technical piece of engineering but kind of marrying that with the business side of managing a project and managing a business and construction sure. was a really good blend of everything that I wanted to do. Well, at least you were close when you went in. Yeah. You know, yeah, like a, no, you were true. you were on the same street or neighborhood. Yeah. No, that's true. Did you intern at Arco Murray? I did. Uh, I actually applied. Uh, I interviewed with them after my freshman year and they didn't hire me. And looking back now, I would not have hired me after that interview either. 
<laughs> but uh, why? 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you just stole my question. It Go. was the first interview that I had ever done. Sure. I, I don't think I dressed like as professionally as I could. I had a little folder instead of anything prepared that looked good. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't. I mean. I, Arco Murray, I interviewed with the president of the firm at the time, and uh, he has a very unique way of um, really just figuring people out. And I think he asked a, re- a lot of really good questions that I hadn't even really thought of in terms of what I wanted or what I could do. And uh, Just planted you. Yeah. It, it, I think I did okay, but I definitely wouldn't have hired me. Yeah. Um, so I kind of just signed them off until uh, another partner in the firm, Joe Pomeranke, who's a, a friend and mentor of mine, convinced me after my junior year to go interview again. And I absolutely loved that internship. Uh, ton of responsibility. Loved the people. Loved what I got to do. I actually worked on the colony, uh, the Top Golf colony here. Uh, so I got to travel down, visit the job site, work with a project manager alongside him for a summer, and it was a ton of fun. And uh, interviewed with a decent amount of companies my senior year and just nothing sounded like it had the opportunity that Arco could give me after college. So went back full time. And then that's, so you're one-stop shop post-college. I am. I'm a little unique compared to all of my friends that graduated Notre Dame same time I did, but yeah, I've only been at Arco. And skipping rungs of the ladder along the way, which I'm sure we'll get through and you're going to be super humble about it, but. Just hitting them, not skipping. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Touch and go. When, what's the timeline of that? Like, uh, graduate Notre Dame, head straight to Dallas, or how does that work? <laughs> no, I was actually in Chicago for five years. Uh, started as a project manager. After a few years of running a lot of different jobs all over the country, uh, moved into more of a director of accounts role, so a little more of an operations focus, uh, growing the team, being consistent for our clients locally and nationally. Mm-hmm. And then uh, almost four years ago now, moved down to Dallas because I was presented with the opportunity to do that, but start a team in our Dallas office. Um, Dallas office has been here for nine years, a little over, um, but I was, got the opportunity to start a new team. So, On the TI side? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so like they were already doing ground up here and you were going to start that within the division? Yep. They had done some TI, but really hadn't dedicated a focus to it. So my job was to come and, and do design build in the DFW market on the TI side. So if you were to put your boss's hat on at that time when you're getting that opportunity to move out here and start a division, why do you think they're offering it to you? Ooh, good question. Uh, I I struggled with this at the time, actually, because when I was first offered the opportunity in, what, July of, or summer of 2018, call it, um, it took me a while. I didn't think I was ready. And it took a few conversations with both the partner that was uh, head of the office down here, as well as um, a really probably my biggest mentor and um, partner up in Chicago, Chris Needhammer. And he told me, yes, you are ready for it. You're never going to be perfect, but we'll, we'll figure it out. And um, you've got the resources. I'm not going away. And uh, eventually I decided to take that risk. Uh, I do think that they saw that I um, I really do care for everyone that I'm working with. I really do care to deliver a good job or a, a good project for my clients. Uh, customer service is, is huge for Arco as well as, as my values. Um, so working to, I guess, deliver that in a market and provide a new opportunity for me that I was really thankful for. Let's stop down for just a second. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Arco. Yeah. Um, 
I can do that elevator pitch. Yeah. Uh, so Arco is a national design build general contractor. So basically what that means is we get to take projects from initial concept to final completion, handing over the keys, uh, get to run the full gamut. So we have relatively few clients, but we service them on a national basis. And, uh, we have engineering teams in house that provide a, a really unique experience that allows us to be the single point of contact for the whole project. Um, my role is to lead our tenant solutions team, like we talked about, and um, our focus is on industrial, office, manufacturing, adaptive reuse, entertainment, um, again, both locally and nationally. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That customer service piece to the character traits. I wrote some down that you said and others that you did not say because I could tell you have hustle and tenacity and you're competitive. So those are also character traits that probably got you there and continue to get you there. Well, thank you. Um, customer service, we, we've talked about it several times on here and when you break it down, what your clients are looking for is not nothing extraordinary other than like showing up when you say you're going to show up, doing what you say you're going to do. Like look at all your subcontractors, like think of the top three that you've ever worked with and mm-hmm. why do you like them so much? Like it's probably fundamental things, right? Right. And it so it's not tough. It's got to do what you say you're going to do. Some of it is like from an engineering standpoint, yes. I'm not your guy, but we could surround ourselves with people that can do that. Um, but I, I think Texas really harnesses that customer service piece where you can be successful when, when you're willing to do those fundamental items. Mm-hmm. I it's, think it's huge. It's been helpful. Is it the same in all your markets? Yeah, I, I would say so. I think that customer service piece, the idea that, well, I, I guess even going back to Arco as a whole, our, our mission uh, make sure I get this right, is to uh, provide a a beneficial and unique and, um, I guess, enjoyable customer experience, but also for our employees. So we, all, we actually list in our mission our employees first because the idea is that if we take care of our people, they're in turn going to take care of our clients. And we're pretty proud of the fact that we have 75% repeat or referral clientele all across our, our Arco family of companies. I think the number is actually higher conservatively at 75%. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, a big part um, in, or it's attributed to who we hire and giving them the resources that they need. So we are a little bit unique compared to other general contractors in that we only hire engineers to be project managers. Mm. We do think that it provides a little more of a unique experience that like technical problem solving piece um, to create a, a better mousetrap, you might say, with a design build approach. Yeah, that is interesting. And it does, I mean, it is, it is definitely a um, something that makes you guys unique in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that's why you're out recruiting at Notre Dame. And there's Lauren murals up on the wall. (laughs) There was a large mural of my face at Notre Dame this year, which was a surprise to me. You didn't know it was going to be there? I participated in the photo shoot and I knew something was happening. But until someone texted me a picture of my face on a big wall at the Notre Dame engineering building, uh, I did not know that it looked like that. Yeah, I remember seeing it on social media or some and be like, yeah, let's go. (laughs) And then, dumb me, I thought it was like, I thought you got like enshrined there. I thought that was permanent. Yeah, no. You're like, no, no, not. they took it down the next week. Yeah, it was I, only I there for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, dumb, I, not dumbfounded, but like, wow, it's like, I'm, I'm thinking Celebrity, like, dude. chiseled into marble. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, no, we printed it and pulled it down. <laughs> yeah. Still awesome. way cooler than anything I've ever had. Still on, awesome, but not like I was thinking, oh, no, okay. And plus, you probably don't want your face like chiseled into marble because don't they always kind of look a little weird anyway? You're like, eh, it doesn't exactly look like me. 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> well, I kind of gave your my identity of what I of customer service, but what's y'all's? What's Arco's? Like, what's what is good customer service? How do you, how do you explain that to like a trainee coming on board on your team? Um. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, I think you hit on a lot of it. A big part of what I focus on is doing what you say you're going to do. And part of that is like, so, okay, stepping back a little bit, we hire engineers right out of college to be project managers. We give them the project manager title. So we don't have a whole hierarchy like a lot of other GCs do where you go from field engineer one to field engineer two to project manager assistant one, PM two, your PM day one. And with that comes the responsibility of a project manager and the reward. So um, our people are motivated to do well, to serve their clients well, and uh, and take on more more projects, try to run them really successfully because that impacts their bottom line at the end of the year too. Mm-hmm. So we give our people a lot of ownership in the overall process and, and financial management of it. Um, so I think hiring the right people that are excited about, I, a lot of it comes down to hiring, um, but hiring the right people, giving them the tools that they need, and then giving them the freedom also to make mistakes, I think, is a, a huge part of my uh, my management, my leadership style. I do not care if you make a mistake, but I want to know about it. Uh, I'm going to ask you to share it with the team yeah. and uh, and figure out how we can improve so that the next person that runs into this issue or avoids this issue down the line um, can do so. So we are constantly updating processes. Um <laughs> Two words that I use a lot are continuous improvement, which I, I totally believe in. And that goes internally, like how do we continue to improve our processes and make sure we're more efficient and doing the best we can, but then also continuously improving our um, our process for our clients and making sure that they're getting the best customer experience they can. And that can go from uh, range in a lot of different ways from the delivery of the actual project, like the quality, the schedule and all of that to just the little things like let's have fun. Let's, let's figure out what little detail we can do to go a long way with the people moving into this space that are going to enjoy it for however many years, um, coming up with some sort of event that we can do to celebrate a new, a new building or a new build out. Um, just little things like that. There's nowhere to hide in that approach that you're a PM day one. Like, no, it's you. Yep. Like there's ownership there, whether you want it or not, it's coming. Right. Do you, so I'm assuming if that's one of your pillars, you show up to those meetings and say, let me explain to you how I failed. There's some ownership on your end that they get to see you walk it. And they're like, okay, it doesn't matter the level. There's vulnerability here and vulnerability is okay. Yes. I, I do try to admit my mistakes. I don't think any of us are, are perfect. No. Um, I don't know everything. I've, I've been in the industry for a little bit, but I'd, I've got so much more to learn. Yeah. And uh, so I think my team knows that um, if I don't know an answer, I will admit that. We'll figure it out together. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not a yeller. I've never, never been a yeller. I'm proof that you can be in construction and not yell. <laughs> uh, and that's both with externally with subcontractors or vendors, as well as internally. I don't get mad. I think the people that I hire beat themselves up more when they mm-hmm. make a mistake. I don't need to. So let's just talk about how we fix it, how we're going to tell the client that we messed up, how we're going to make it right. And again, how we work on a process or some sort of internal lesson learned, big on lesson learned. Um, to, uh, to improve. There's simplicity in that, but it's very powerful too. Mm-hmm. It's not I practiced so. often there. Oh man. I, okay. I got three or four points. So let's work through those. The hiring process. Mm-hmm. It's, it's super important period full stop. But when you're leveraging a, a baby, whatever into that spot, like it's, 
it's exponentially more important, right? So what are, what are the, I'm not trying to say, hey, so tell me your secret sauce, but like, what are you looking for? How are you managing that hiring process to make sure, or not make sure, but in, as much as you can ensure that you're getting the A player that you need, right? What are some hallmarks or triggers or, or tri- t- tips or whatever as you go through the process? Yeah, a lot of it, yeah, it's not a perfect science, but. No, of course not. Um a lot of it does come down to effort. So we do look at grades. We do have a, a minimum GPA because I think you can be super smart, but if you don't apply yourself, you're not making the grades that you could. Um, it kind of shows how you're going to act when you're in the real world. Um, we're looking for people that can confidently hold a conversation because you are going to get put into some tough spots where you don't always know what you're talking about and you mm. do need to make sure you can navigate the conversation. Um, not lie, but also answer some tough questions. Um, and people that have a lot of energy, we've got, uh, I mean, construction is tough and, uh, we want people to be passionate about their futures, passionate about the success, the success of the business, passionate about delivering well for their clients. So a lot of high energy, very, um, very intelligent individuals. And we do have a, a really high bar. So GPA is a metric. I can look at your grades and I can compare it against our metric and check a box. Those other two are fairly amorphous. Mm-hmm. Like we're just going to have to have that conversation. And I'm going to have to gut read whether or not we handled it well or, or not. And energy is sort of the similar. It's like, man, you come in and sit slosh. You're just going to have to read the room mm-hmm. to make those assessments. Yeah. And it, it comes with practice for sure. And I'm definitely not the only person interviewing. We have um, every leader in our business meet almost every new employee yeah. to make sure we're getting we're all on the same page with, yes, this is a, a good asset to invest. I mean, hiring someone is a, a big investment. So, Oh, yeah. What what percentage of people that are coming in to interview with y'all currently are bringing something to write with? 100%? Because uh, you're 100%. finding the best. Is it, it, the bar level seems to be changing. Yeah. I, although I. Or the interview style. I don't know. I can't say that that's an immediate negative on, on my Totally. Mark if they don't bring something to either reference with questions or or write some notes on. It seems to be the vast majority lately. Yeah. It also drives me nuts even internally or superintendents, project managers, whoever, if we're having a conversation or a meeting and you don't bring anything to write on. That bothers me a lot. I'll send people I'll be like, okay, go back to your office. Get get a piece <laughs> of paper. Come come you know, like I just similarly, like, don't come in here with that weak sauce. Like, come on. What are other red flags? That's a, that was that was a question I was going to ask. You put us right into it. Red flags. Interview red flags. Um, trying to think of recent interviews, but uh, I think over, I guess some of the last few years, I've learned that some people are very good at just saying what you they know you want to hear. Yeah, and weeding through that can can sometimes be difficult, but it is something that we try to do just to make sure that someone isn't rehearsed and doesn't actually walk the talk oh we talked about that a few weeks ago several weeks ago talking about in- interviewing because they're so polished like oh when yeah, they, yeah when yeah. they ask you questions you're like is that your question or did you are you just regurgitating a pr- something a professor asked you to how, mm-hmm. do, how do you do that without straight up calling them out on it or do you call them out is that your question so i think their response okay so when they ask a question you answer it if they have 
some more to go off of or they put like an end cap on it or, oh, that's that's unique because I was looking into it. Like if they have some context that they can bring to why they ask the question and it creates more of a dialogue versus yeah. just you ask a question, I give you an answer. You're like, oh, okay, cool. And then you move on to your next question. I think there's it's just stiff and they're just regurgitating questions versus actually understanding what they're asking. Yeah. The, the, the reverse of that, one of the green flags is when you get some questions, you're like, Dang, that put me on my heels a little bit because I, I had to think through it of like diversity inclusion, like, and it wasn't like a rehearsed one. It was like this matters to me. How? What are you doing about mm-hmm. it? And and what does it look like here? Yeah. And like sometimes the answer is like, ah, we're not doing too hot. We'd love to, you know. Um, I think being honest is important, and I mean, I, it's not hard to like make a dialogue during an interview. And like all of the people that work for that company love talking about that company. I love talking about Arco. Um, so it's really just how well can you initiate conversation, understand what our company does, ask about it, kind of regurgitate it back and, and have more of a dialogue around it. Other hot tips, hot tips, other red flags. Don't better bring something to write on. Mm-hmm. Ask good questions. Um, I don't know. I think just be, be genuine. Yeah. I've, I've found in my limited interviewing, it's difficult to suss through getting the regurgitated answer that they think you want. Like, how, like, okay. I, when I asked you what you expected from a career here at the firm, like you gave me the like textbook answer. That's you and I both know that's not the answer, right? Like, so figuring out how to like lean into those has been a little bit tricky, but I think dialoguing around them, I've, I've pivoted to asking a lot of why's like, why'd you ask a question? Hmm. It's like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> Because it's on my career services paper that they gave me. <laughs> it says number one question to ask. An inter- right. So I like, that. like flipping that back is the way I've tried to suss through it. But man, it's tricky because clients are not clients, uh, candidates. They're more polished now than I've ever seen them. And I've been interviewing, well, 20 years or so. It's like, oh, wow. Y'all got it together now. Um, okay. Let me. No, the, that's really good. The other thing I wrote. Go ahead, Kev. Nope. Go ahead. The other thing I, I wrote. Take down, us off to something else. Was talking about sharing your mistakes. Tell me, like, what what is that like? Talk me through that because I love that idea. Like, somebody needs to raise their hand and say, "Hey, I screwed this up," and I want to say it out loud in a room so that y'all don't screw it up. Mm-hmm. Mechanically, how does that work? Yeah, um, I think we actually have a really good culture of sharing lessons learned uh, because we are so young, and I think facilitating that is tough because I think when you do hire high performing people, they don't want to admit mistakes. So you do have to create a culture where uh, they're, they feel comfortable sharing that. And part of my job is if they don't immediately feel comfortable sharing it in front of a group of 10, 12 other people to just bring it to me. And I can say, Hey, that's a really good point. You should share that in the next ops meeting. And I'll actually keep a a list of things that I think people should share uh, to make sure we're covering it. And then, we haven't done this, um, I guess it's not like a consistent meeting we have, but occasionally we'll just throw lessons learned meetings on the calendar if we don't get through everything in our ops meetings so that the whole, um, I guess the whole agenda is just to bounce around the room and talk about mistakes we made uh, and keep track of that. See if there's any procedural document or template or bid instruction or contractual language or um, some sort of kickoff meeting document that we should update to make sure that we're capturing that and ideally don't make it next time. So. I, I'm actually really happy with where we're at in this process right now. And I'm, I'm really grateful that the team has embraced that too. Um, 
got a lot of different people that will jump in and say, hey, I'll, I'll update that. Or I tried this on a contract or I talked to my superintendent and now we're going to try to rope this into our kickoff conversations with subcontractors, things like that. Um, so the teams really embrace the the process too, which is cool. Is it multidisciplinary? Like, are we bringing in uh, other leadership or legal or like, or is it just ops guys only? Uh, no, that's a good point. Um, so I, w- I would say it's very interdisciplinary and actually our legal team a little bit ago sent me an agenda for like a project uh, mid project health meeting. Uh, we've been really consistent with our internal kickoff meetings to get all of the disciplinaries um, disciplines on the same page. Um, so we'll bring in marketing, accounting or controllers, superintendent, safety, ops side, um, and all talk about the project and pain points and get on the same page with all of that. But we haven't really been consistent with this mid project health check and legal actually was the one that, that, um, introduced that to me. And then we've got to close out again, where we bring all disciplines together to, to talk about what we learned, what we could have done better, both from a marketing standpoint, um, a sales standpoint, operation standpoint, everything. So. Yeah. I like that. Bringing in other points of view, you're like, Oh, I know, I know y'all want to change that language in your contract, but here's why it's not, or Mm -hmm. I know y'all want to blow this up and put it on the you know, silt fence or whatever, but here's why we shouldn't. And just like crisscross all of the stuff is, and that's a really good opportunity to like leverage everybody's expertise. Yeah. Agreed. I want your take on flying the nest since we have similar journeys in that regard. How important is it or how has it impacted your life? You talking about like leaving home, going mm-hmm. like leaving Chicago? Yeah. Just, just throwing it behind and yeah, seeing what you're made of. <laughs> It's a great question. When I was first thinking about this, I think my dad said, if you want to be on the will, you you won't leave. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it took me a while. It took me probably about six months, similar to the time frame we were talking about earlier, uh, to talk to Jeff and get on the same page that we both wanted to take this opportunity and, and leave the Midwest, head down south. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it was tough because there was part of me that felt like I was choosing between career opportunity and family. Mm. And that I was prioritizing one or the other. Yeah. And then once we both convinced ourselves that we didn't have to like never see our family again, uh, and actually be really intentional about intentional about making time to see them, that actually taking a chance, taking a risk, going to do something else, exploring a different part of the country, building a, a little bit of a life somewhere else, um, sounded pretty cool. So I'm really glad we did it. I'm glad we eventually got on the same page because we were ping-ponging for a while. I'd be good, and then he'd be hesitant, and then he'd be ready to go, and I'd get hesitant. <laughs> um, but I'm really glad we decided to. It's, it's been a lot of fun. And I do think that taking that risk uh, has been really rewarding. It's given me a lot of energy, and I've experienced a lot of growth through that. And um, I've probably built up confidence during that process, too. I love that answer. And I, so. We'll kind of skip around this prep sheet because I know she's walking the talk when it comes to like that family and seeing family, like y'all travel all the time. Yes. And like when outsider's perspective, because I don't, I'm like, I'm overwhelmed by like how much y'all are traveling, but it's not work travel. It's personal. There's, well, it's a, it's a mix, but it's heavy to go see family. You're in Cincinnati, then you're in Chicago and Cincinnati and then maybe California, like in Colorado. And it's like. Always to meet up with family. So you're living that out. And that has, like you said earlier in the conversation, that takes a lot of intentionality and cost Mm -hmm. to do so. So you've kept up with it. We have. I mean, this year especially, it feels like we've been, (laughs) yeah, all over the country, but mostly Chicago, Cincinnati, 
And then, like you said, um, I made a, a trip to LA to visit Luke with my parents for a long weekend, which was really cool. Uh, but we've, we've both done family vacations this year for, uh, full weeks, I think with both of them. Um, Jeff's dad turned 65 this year and we made a trip up to celebrate with him, even though it was only a few weeks before Thanksgiving. Um, but that didn't matter because we wanted to be there for both. So, um, yeah, very intentional about making sure that we spend quality time with both of our families. And it, it's one of the things that I think really even drew me to Jeff originally is that he's very family centered, similar to the way I am. Um, and it's been really cool. And I obviously love his family too. So that's awesome. It and now with the benefit of hindsight, you don't have full control of that decision whether you stay or go anyway, because look at Luke. He's carving his own path and he goes. Isn't Luke the one that moved to California? Yes. Yeah. I guess. So, sorry. So like, like to decide to fly the nest or not, like I want to be close to family, but oh, the family yeah. could disperse outside of your control anyway. That's true. That's you know? true. And trying to get my parents to move to Dallas. Are you really? Yeah. (laughs) They're in a tug of war between California and and Texas. Yeah, I think I'm going to lose that battle. They're going to go to California? No, no, no. Um, Logan actually just, the youngest, just bought a house in the western suburbs. So I think they're they're there for a while. Yeah. And he's the youngest? Yes. Just got married this year too. So that was another trip for uh, for his wedding and the bachelor, bachelorette party. Um, So yeah. All L's, Luke, Logan, yes. Warren. Uh, we're actually all L-A-L, besides my mom, um, but she's still L-L. And uh, yeah, initials on water bottles growing up did not work. No. Um, <laughs> but, but when I was little, I thought that all families had to, like really little, I thought all families had to have names that all started with the same letter. Yeah, learned that. Uh, oh, if you're making case. an argument at the lunchroom <laughs> in school, like, no, 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 this is a thing. Wait, what's your brother's name? Yeah. Um, no, but that was fun. Dog's name was Lily too. So it's just hard, hard L people. Mm-hmm. Just, That's why I had to keep Ladowski too. Oh right. <laughs> too many, too many embroidered cups and pillows and towels. <laughs> right. Oh, way <laughs> too much thought went into it's that. It's a complete overhaul. It's a cost thing, Jeff. It's a cost thing. <laughs> it's like I know, but like decades of marital tradition would suggest. <laughs> uh, Sorry, no, I'm not re-embroidering things. No, I'm I'm very happy to be a Kramer. So what you you get here, what does that hustle look like? Who are you meeting? You don't know anybody, right? You, you knew me, I guess. Uh, you got to know a few people. Well, I knew but you, you once I moved down here. Yeah. Right. So like, and you're, you're trying to plant a flag for Acro Murray, a, plant, a flag within a flag. It's like, what does that hustle look like? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you kind of hit it already, but uh, Jason, the president of our Dallas office who started nine years ago, gave me some really good advice when I moved down to just meet as many people as I possibly could and join some networking organizations to do so. So I was going to networking events like BizNow, DBJ. Um, I got really involved with Trek right away. And um, I know it's it's very similar to to Texo mm-hmm. in that it uh, it's a very good combination of philanthropy and policy, I think, that has given me a lot of opportunities both on the networking side as well as, I guess, every event that I went to was part networking, part friend finding. Yeah, for um, sure. Because I, I didn't know anybody. Uh, but Trek was a really good way for me to to hit both of those concepts and then also scratch the the volunteering itch. So the first few events that I did go to were volunteer events. Um, and I just met people that way, got to work on some pretty cool projects in and around South Dallas. Um, and then got really involved with um, a couple different 
um, events that they put on, groups that they do, breakfast clubs, um, I guess rising to the top events, things like that. And, uh, and then was very lucky to get into ALC this year, um, the Associate Leadership Council, which has provided a really eye-opening um, experience for me to actually learn more about Dallas and uh, in ways that I, I really didn't even know I was interested in. So, I mean, we've, we had a healthcare day, an education day. We learned about homelessness and um, community investment and all the projects that Truck is doing and the opportunities to make a difference in Dallas. Mm. So I've been very thankful for that experience over this past year. Um, and I've learned a lot through that program. So I guess jumping in right away, meeting as many people as I could, getting involved both volunteering and through networking organizations um, and just saying yes to a lot of things. You got some good buddies now because of that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ALC, we joke about having 29 new best friends, uh, which is kind of unique being, I get at this age and, and creating those relationships at this point. So everybody has a different approach to jumping in like that in those networking events. Right. And I I think from an outsider's perspective, there's a particular paradigm that's productive. Like, Oh, you need to be this type of person for those things to be successful. And I don't know that that's true. And so the reason I lay that question out like that is like, what's your approach? You're, you walk into a meeting, you're new to Dallas, you know, nobody. What do you do? Yeah. So I, I think I tend to come across as a bit of an extrovert in reality. I don't love walking into a room full of people that I don't know. So it, it was a little bit uh, intimidating to walk into a space where everyone kind of knew each other already. Um, I don't know if that's introversion or some sort of social anxiety or what, but... Uh, or just normal. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's tough for an extrovert. That's yeah. true. Um, but kind of just embracing that I was new and didn't know anybody and trying to just be interested in what everyone was doing and uh, making some relationships that way. Um, yeah, it was definitely wasn't easy for me, but I would actually walk out of those networking events um, feeling energized and excited for the people that I met and the opportunities that exist here. Uh, it's, it's been incredible. And now she's went from showing up to them to leading Speaking panels. That was what fun. was the last one I, you saw? I saw you. I was you and Anne Marie de la Vega, de la Vega, Susan Arledge. I mean, a lot of really badass women. And and three years ago, I went to a similar event, like a women in real estate event, and sat, you know, out in the seats and and made a couple friends with the girls at at my table. Um, but listened to these really inspiring women talk about being in the industry, and then yeah, being able to sit on stage, be part of the conversation about leadership and development and how we get more women in the industry and things like that. Everyone, everything that I'm really passionate about, it was, it was fun to be up there and talk about it. Let's go there. It's part of the prep sheet. Uh, how do we get more women in the industry? Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, something I super, I'm super passionate about. Um, cause I think I was very, I was very lucky in that. I mean, my mom would sign us up for, science camps and um was very encouraging in the math and science part of school and i don't think every kid has access to that type of support or education so um right now i'm probably the biggest organization that i am involved with is young women's preparatory network um it's a network of public schools um college preparatory for young girls from either first generation um, they're, they're likely first generation college kids, uh, low income neighborhoods. And, um, I get to mentor someone 
every semester through the college application process. And um, Erica, who I, I have right now, is is crushing it. She's already gotten into like six schools. Yes. But um, but that's really cool for me because they have a STEAM challenge every year too: science, technology, engineering, arts, um, mathematics. Math. Yes. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> staring at you like, what am I missing? Yeah, it's the um, right person to stare at. I'm familiar with. Uh, Let's hey, talk about academia. <laughs> I'm familiar with. Uh, I can't think of the right word. Stare. I was like, I got you. Mathematics. <laughs> uh, but no, it's a really cool organization um, that I was lucky to find really on or early on when I moved to Dallas. Um, but I think getting more young women exposed to engineering and construction is a huge part of trying to increase the amount of women that then see it as a future career choice. And, um, what I also think though, that, cause that's going to take time, obviously they've got to actually get through school and actually be interested in the, uh, in the industry, um, in college too. I think we need to hit more, um, SWE program, society of women engineering, uh, which I also was a part of in college, um, to get them exposed to construction as a as a potential career choice. Um, but frankly, even if they go into engineering or real estate or construction, architecture, like it's all good. Um, yeah. And being a leader in whatever career field you choose is is awesome to me. Um, so hitting college, and then um, there's obviously the diversity piece, the makeup of what the industry looks like, but then also the inclusion piece is what I'm working on with um, a few other awesome women at Arco uh, to make sure that once we get people here, we're making them feel included and supported and mentored and, uh, and make sure that they don't leave because it doesn't do any good if they get here, but then they leave. So um, what do those initiatives look like? Uh, I've got to give a shout out to Corey. She um, is our director of operations in Chicago and started a year after I did in Chicago and um, really creating that support platform. She's, crushed it um i'm just trying to support her to support the program yeah, yeah um but making sure we're having a lot of dialogue um around what the girls in our and, and we're building a, a little bit of a an army at arco it's it's really cool to see because i was the first girl that was in project management at arco and now we've got a small army across eight offices or 10 offices i think that's a cool um, data point i didn't know that yeah um so it's been cool to see those numbers grow and uh, the platform that we have um, is really around how do we continue to get them to network, um, ask questions, learn some best practices in the industry, build up their confidence and uh, and make sure that they know that they can do this and it's okay to have doubts along the way. What, what's the, you may not know the answer, but what's the reason that women leave that, leave the uh, construction? Like we get them, he, women join and then they leave. Or at least that's the problem we're trying to solve for. What's the what's precipitating them leaving? I think there are a lot of different reasons. Um, sometimes not feeling, um, I guess, rewarded or that you're providing enough value, I think, can be one of them. I think a lot of it, it does come down to confidence, though. And then because of that confidence, not totally enjoying what you're doing and just stressing out about everything that you're not doing right. Um, so we actually read uh, as a group a book called The Confidence Code earlier this year. Yeah. Very eye-opening, very fascinating read. And it was all about the um, kind of the genetic makeup, the nature versus nurture approach to, to having confidence or not. Um, and then just comparing even like the science behind neurons and 
the way that men and women's brains are different and gray matter versus white matter and how people approach problem solving. And yes, some of it can be a little generalistic. Um, sure. But I actually had to laugh out loud reading the book a few times because of how accurate it was. So, um, and that was a good one for all, us all to talk about in a, in a group setting about um, when we do start lacking confidence, what we can do to get over that and realize that we're actually doing a really good job and we've got a support system behind us to, to continue to improve there. So the general either premise of the book or perhaps at least your takeaway from it was like there, there, these are some general paradigms in, in which people fall. And here are some ways that we like cross network them or solve for or, or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And yeah, a lot of it was just being aware of it yeah, yeah, and then yeah. recognizing that there are things that you can do to continue to slowly develop your confidence. And what I do think taking this back to Arco, um, what we do very well is putting people a little bit over their skis, but then making sure that we're giving them the backup and training to make sure that they feel confident the next time they have to do that activity. And that's the quickest way that people learn is getting pushed a little bit, but then make sure that they've got the resources to, uh, to make sure that they can do well. Yeah. That is a leadership paradigm problem in that you want people to be too far over their skis. Just a touch though. Like not so far that you feel like you're in free fall mode. <laughs> right. And so I, I, at the, well, I think the legal profession generally says you learn to swim by sinking. Like we're just going to chuck you in the deep end and be like, holler at me if you're dead. Like that's awful. But I think the legal profession does that. But I have wrestled with trying to figure out like, okay, do you just, am I just going to throw a rope in? Like, do I need to be in, do I need to be treading water next to you? Is that how close the, the safety net needs to be? Like, I can't figure out exactly where the, you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to like yeah. blend a couple of analogies and I'll stop because none of them work, but you get on, you get <laughs> yeah. the point, right? No, there's a balance. And I, I had a tough lesson on that this year actually with, um, I guess letting someone go a little bit too far and get a little bit too buried and, uh, not an ask for help person that ended up, um, not resulting in a very good outcome for one of our projects. We're, we're working through it. We're, we're going to fix it. But I think being conscious of the fact that putting too much responsibility on somebody, uh, can have a negative impact and knowing what that boundary is, is tough. Um, well, my default conversationally, I'm not saying I'm right. I think I'm probably wrong actually is like, I need, I'm going to tell you as the person who is theoretically too far over your skis, I need you to tell me when you're not comfortable. Mm-hmm. But when you run into a person who doesn't is, is want for raising their hand and saying, I need help. When you run into a problem solving, can do it person with those are great people that that push pull doesn't work because they won't they'll be like i'm too far over my skis but i can figure it out and then you're over the cliff and so like you have to i don't know if i'm i'm not solving a problem here i'm just sort of acknowledging like god boy that's tricky yeah and necessary yeah to your point i think you kind of have to know your people Mm -hmm. and if they are more toward the I'm not going to raise my hand than being a little closer to that, which I I could have done a much better job of in this situation. Um, But I do think that I default to trusting um, with the intent of trying to make sure that we maintain an open dialogue, that you can come to me and trust me as well. And that if you do feel like you're, you've got too much on your plate, we'll either talk through it and prioritize things so that hopefully you feel better about keeping all of that on your plate. But if not, then let's take something off and no harm, no foul there. Yeah, you're right. I think there's a lot of power in your testimony too. I know you're humble, but showing people, you know, your duration, your timeline, getting through it, your character traits, how you got there, sharing this podcast for other women to see, like, 
yeah, you cut through this like knife with butter. I know it was more difficult than that, right? But I mean, how long ago did you move here? Three years ago? Uh, almost four now, three and a half. Yeah. And how, how big is the division or how successful or yeah. what are you currently doing now? Yeah. Uh, so in December of 2018, uh, me and one other person, Trevor, my business development partner, uh, he's awesome. And I'm so thankful that he's, uh, he's stuck with me, <laughs> but, um, so started off with just two of us and now we have 22 people on our team. Um, we're going to do on the TI side alone, locally and nationally, over 50 million this year. Uh, so yeah, very proud of it. Yeah. And I think that's a, a huge testament to the team. Huge testament to the team, but it started with you, you know, so yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. And that's something powerful, like in those committees and sharing the story. And it's not like to pound on your chest, but like, this is what's possible for you. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm sure Arco Murray is a company that is going to give you opportunities. Yeah. And I, I really hope that, yeah, my, my role now does encourage more women to, to see at least someone that does look like them and, and give it a shot. And so similar to the PM role, are you the first partner, female partner of the firm? I am. Man, that's, that's oh, trailblazing cool. stuff. Yeah. Just like exciting. Melanie, you know, like the yeah. old story's got to get out there. Melanie's simultaneously recording a podcast next to us. Oh, that's awesome. And she should be because we need those stories out there. Yeah. No, it's been a fun year for sure. Okay. So the last thing on Arco Murray that I have is this upcoming sabbatical, mm-hmm. which is like, huh? Construction sabbatical. That doesn't mix. That's a church thing. Like January, you got a whole month you're going to take off, right? Yeah. And um, I think I know some inside scoop, but I don't know how much you're willing to share, but like how the company is advocating for this and saying you need to do it, or is it part of company policy? I'll just kind of tee it off for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think there have been some conversations where I say I'm going on sabbatical and everyone thinks I'm leaving Arco. Uh, <laughs> but <can't>... no, <laughs> this well, is you a- said it earlier. We we're kind of just talking before we started recording and I thought it was just kind of colloquial. Like, just like, uh, sabbatical, like things are going to be slow at the office oh, or like, no. I didn't fully appreciate that that was no actually, real deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm super interested to go. Yeah. No, it is a benefit that Arco offers and it's a selling point in recruiting, obviously. And I think more, sh- more companies should do it. I tell everybody that I do run into about this because I, I do think that having that balance to get away and reset a little bit, I will not be allowed to access my computer or any work emails on my phone or anything what? like that for They're controlling a that. full month. Yes. Um, so I'm going to be three and a half years late taking this because <laughs> of my move down to Dallas and getting married, starting a, um, a division and then COVID got in the way a little bit. Uh, but finally taking it very excited. We're going to go to Thailand uh, for about a week, do the Maldives for a few days, which was supposed to be our honeymoon way back when that kind of got interrupted by COVID, but, um, Singapore for a couple days and then the rest of it in New Zealand. So it's going to be a lot. Um, but I wanted to go far because of the amount of time that I am getting off and, uh, it's going to be a great time for us to just relax. And, um, I've got a couple cousins that are going to join us for part of the trip too. And then, uh, Jeff's taking a whole month off too. I can't, I cannot fathom how you're able to disconnect like that because as addicted as I am to my phone and the rings and the dings and the pings and like, I, how do you, how are you preparing for like just being turned off? You're not even turning it off. Like done. Yeah. I think it will be tough, especially in the beginning, but I'm doing, I'm trying to do as much as I possibly can right now to make sure that I'm setting everybody up for when I am gone for a month. And I am going to worry about everybody, but <laughs> I also have 
uh, a really great team and really great partners. And I think that everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, I mean, this is a, this is a benefit that, um, every ARCO employee gets every five years. So I've heard enough from other people that say that it's just awesome. And once you do actually realize that you're gone and there's nothing you can do about any issues that are coming up and it'll be figured out and it's fine, um, to know that it'll be okay. So organizationally, then everybody knows it's coming up and I'm assuming you're prepping, you know, clearing hurdles so that there's nothing that happens during January and upstream needs to lean down a little bit and downstream needs to lean up a little bit to sort of pinch that vacuum. And then you show back up February one. You're like, Hey guys, I'm back. What happened? Pretty much. Good gravy. (laughs) I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Yeah, no, pretty much. It'll be a lot of catching up, a lot of conversations about what I missed. What are you hoping to get out of January? Oh, I love that question. Ooh, that is a good question. Um, I think, so I actually had this conversation with one of my employees recently because we all, to your point, we have a hard time turning it off. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because we do care and we're all very driven and, um, you know, you're thinking about work sitting at the dinner table, which is not good. Yeah. And I do struggle with the fact that if I'm at work, I feel like maybe I should be spending time with Jeff or at home or talking to family. And if I'm taking that time off, I'm still thinking about work. And that's this weird, um, that I'm sure you guys both experience too, where it's like, I want to be in all places at once. Um, and there's guilt associated with that. And I, I recently was, um, able to sit in on an executive coaching, uh, meeting through the ALC program. And, um, Robin with Rose Porterfield was telling me that I've got to figure out how to get rid of that guilt. Like I'm covering a lot of ground and it's okay to just be where you are, be present and know that you're doing enough. And that's going to be really tough for me. That's a goal of mine going into 2023 to focus on that. But I'm almost excited to be gone for a month to realize that the world does go on without me. And I think that'll be a really good way to hopefully uh, come back and just jump right back in, but know that you know, the team wasn't struggling while I'm gone um, and realize that I can just be present in whatever I'm doing and kind of set the stage for the rest of the year. Continuously do that. Like I, I'm fresh off that Disney trip that we kind of talked in the break room about, but I had, I had people reminding me throughout the week, he, he kicked me off. And then when I was getting antsy towards the end of it, I almost missed enjoying the last two days because I was thinking about what's next and it was be where your feet are, be present that trip and just soak things in and watch Jeff's reaction and your cousins and just like look and be present, put the phone down. And it's crazy how much more emotion like fills like good heartfelt emotion because you're present. Yeah. It, hold on to that all month if think, you can. I think that is great advice. I will, I will try. I will do do my it. best. It, it, it's worth it because I time and time again, I would look over at Quinn and just observe Disney through her eyes and get teary eyed. Yeah. Because but if I was thinking about what's next and all the things I got to do when I get back, I would have missed it. I right. completely missed it. So that's like my, that was Robin's advice too, right? Is that what her name was? Yes. Use it. It's worth it. I think that's huge. What's the, if I was, if I put on my Mr. Arco Murray hat, <laughs> that's a funny thing to say. Why are they offering that? Like what's the organizational benefit? That's a good question. Um, we do work really hard. Um, I recognize that all of my employees are putting in a lot of hours and that goes from 
um, our engineering team to the field, to the office, like all across the board. So I think giving people the opportunity to go experience something outside of work, because every, everyone has a hard time actually taking vacation, mm-hmm. um, something that we have to force people to do. Um, it's hard to get away. And I think if we force people to do that, show them that we care about their well-being outside of just work every day, that that's, I think, the motivation for it. Mm-hmm. Does it force you to have everybody wants to be lean to a certain extent, but from an employee standpoint, is it force you have an adequate enough staff where it doesn't create this crazy vacuum when one goes down? Like so many of us tend to have culturally. Yeah. I mean, we're pretty lean, like on every project, it's pretty much project manager, superintendent running the show. So, so what that PM leaves for a month. Right. What is that? I think it does come back to the culture too. Like we, when someone's sick, um, just communicating that the team, feels good enough to step in and help it's a will knowing, and a want yeah knowing that at some point they're going to need that help too yeah yeah um same thing goes for vacation same thing goes for sabbatical so i i think and, and we're starting to have a little bit more of a a team approach where we've got more of a an ops person that's a little closer to the job so if the project manager were to take off or that ops person were to take off they could both kind of cover each other um but being lean we definitely have to make sure that people are willing to step in even on projects that aren't theirs What's the tenure or title or what to earn a sabbatical? Everyone. Oh, oh, I got it. I can answer that. You've been there for five years. Oh, yes. Sorry. Everyone. Did you already say it? Yeah. Oh, I missed it. Sorry. That's okay. I I thought you meant. I got you, dog. (laughs) What level in the company? (laughs) Every level, but five years. Yes. Got it. Okay. And every five years. I think I'm entitled to four or five sabbaticals at this point. (laughs) Can I I see you in 2024? Yeah. (laughs) We're hiring. Yeah. Speaking of hiring, you guys just hired Steve over. Uh, at Arco, yeah, starting soon. Yeah, recently. awesome guy, awesome guy. Uh, a little over a month. Yeah, perfect. I need to catch up with a seasonal friend of mine. We used to work together. Uh, who is, and I'll make this parlay into doing really hard things. Like he scaled a bunch of fourteeners. He's like a karate nut. You need to ask him all these questions. Yes, we'll do. But uh, you like doing hard things too, right? I do. I, I think that's uh, Jeff. Something that Jeff and I both really enjoy doing is just challenging ourselves in different <laughs> ways. Um. <laughs> part of uh <laughs> it's an awkward laugh go on well i'm laughing because i just thought of like a picture a few weeks ago that jeff sent me just dipping in his pool in a cold day oh. and he just jumped in to sit in it for a while yeah. just because he's a just huge cause. advocate for hard things man yeah no i mean in the past year he's done a marathon like four triathlons plus a half iron man yeah i'm just supporting I, I just get to be the supporter there um but he's totally crushed it and i'm really proud of him um but i think Overall, between traveling, trying new things, challenging ourselves with our work, um, all about just continuing to to find something new to test ourselves on. What well, again, guilty of not reading prep sheets very well, but Arco Murray cycling event. Tell me about that. What is this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> Nothing. Just, just, just calling yourself out. Yeah. Everybody knows I don't read it. Just getting giggly. Yeah. Uh, so Bike Ride for the Kids is an event that started... By a few ARCO leaders, I don't even know how many years ago. I've done it seven times, and it's um, riding a bike, a road bike, from Chicago to South Bend. So, 100-mile ride um, usually takes five, six, seven, eight hours. Um, But every year, we've grown the number of people that does it, and we raise money for educational programs in South Bend. Sweet. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really hard. Yeah, I bet. I haven't come around to bicycling yet. I, I I enjoy it. Yeah. It actually can be 
yeah, just gives you a lot of time to to think while also working out. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Do you do the White Rock Lake laps? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's seven oh. mile circles or whatever. Uh, it's a little over ten. Is yeah. It? Okay. So a couple laps around that, and then going off on one of the offshoots can be a decently long ride. As Jeff is painfully aware, it's part of the Dallas Marathon. Yes, he uh, he <laughs> struggled his way through that, but he finished. He, heck yeah, he finished. Um, you did that one too. Yeah. That's right. Um, the freezing. What was it? There was some like inclement weather, wasn't it? It was cold. It was cold. Like, that was actually when he jumped in the pool afterwards. Oh, this one was recent too. Oh, I think okay. he did it again. Maybe you're out of town for of work. <laughs> there was a period of time during the freeze actually last year where both he and I would like start off our mornings by getting in the very cold pool just to wake ourselves up and do something hard to start the day. I think, see, to even start the day. I love it. Yeah. Mm. I started cold showers this week. It's miserable. Oy. But I'm, be, I'm getting just prepped. go Okay, I'm now, see, perked up. Do you just go straight cold or are you like easing yourself into it? No, remember- I, I go, I, but I'm day two of this, so I don't even know if I washed my entire body. I don't remember. It was a blackout. <laughs> I just popped in and out and I was like, what was that? But I, because I, one of my physical goals is going to be one cold plunge a week. Okay. I've gotten That's to where goal. I don't like to do hard things. Apparently, that's I don't read or do hard things. <laughs> but so I started You're a like, lawyer. I, I do hard things. Yeah, um, like just t- ratcheting it back. You know, like it's and then I'm like washing my hair and turn it down a little, and then I'm turn it down until eventually it's on cold, and it doesn't even fade me anymore. Like I don't think I could go straight cold, but when I just tweak it down, and then by the end it's just like freezing cold water, and I'm like, ah, it feels awesome. So interesting strategy. I think after jumping into a very cold pool, no matter what temperature you put your shower on, feels fine. Mm, I bet that's the only time I've taken like truly cold showers. I can imagine. How long did you stay in there? Did you just do it to jump in and pop right back out, or did you stay in there for a couple minutes? I tried to work myself up to a couple minutes. Did you? It's starting off. It's just in and out though. <laughs> and and what what is it helping you with? Just the fact that you're doing a hard thing that parlays in all facets of life. Yeah, kind of just doing. Something to start your morning that you don't really want to do, but mm. then feeling good. It's kind of like working out. I know you do it every morning too. I'm not sure about you. No, I don't like um, to do hard things. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but I try to work out most mornings and then after the workout, or if I didn't do a workout, we try to just get in the pool to kind of feel good afterwards. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think it also just has health benefits. I didn't read into that too much, but I think it's good for your skin and overall circulation and I don't inflammation and that the like um, the, yes the good cold, for yeah. muscles too yeah got a lot of numbness in my body lately so <laughs> i'm thinking that that freezing water might help <laughs> I get my arms and hands lose feeling and i feel like there's probably a doctor that listens please write kevin and say <laughs> <laughs> that numbness is not normal yeah. and a cold plunge will not help it <laughs> it might <laughs> it's like an sure. ice pack over uh, your whole body come uh, on Remember that time Kevin died from jumping in a pool every morning (laughs) and bankrupted his family from buying like just millions of pounds of ice every day so that you could jump in a freezing pool. I got to give Gary Gunner. uh, I don't know if you know him in the industry. He's he's a silent killer. Uh, He's been doing it almost every single day and he'll send me a picture of the thermometer. And now he's both feet in. He bought an actual cold plunge that like takes the water to the level you need it. And he said, I've been doing it for months and every single day I have to tell my inner bee to shut up and just jump <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right. What hard thing are you going to add to your life starting now, Stewie? Uh, recording podcasts is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing. I don't like, I, I think that's where I've landed. I don't like doing hard things. Yeah, that's the point. Do you uh, travel? 
No, I have three kids, so managing them's really hard. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. It's probably the hardest thing you can do. Yeah. You sh- I was um I was looking at our calendar the other day. I forget it was somebody we were t- trying to figure out if we could have time to like meet or whatever and I opened my and it's not just like red, you know, like oh, my day's real but it's like from 6 to 10, like triple booked. And somebody's like your calendar shouldn't look like that. I'm like <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it's it is a full-on logistics nightmare almost every day like to get our children where they belong. So Maybe that's what, maybe that's where my season of life is. That's Kevin, what I'm doing hard right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Parenting three children. For sure. Who break things and are not happy about stuff. And it's basketball season. Completely random. It's basketball season. I was trying to work in basketball. <laughs> like we hadn't done it for 10 minutes or for almost an hour. I feel like I had to work it in. Um, okay. I know you had a lot on your prep sheet and we sort of scatter shot through some of it. So what do, do we miss something? Before we go, like, one big thing and a book and stuff like that. Oh, before that. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like we hit it all. Kev, did we miss something? No. No, we covered it. I think we're down to the book and the one thing. All right. Books. So, Could be books. Yeah, books. We already got one earlier. Yep. What was, uh, what was it? Remind me. Confidence code. Confidence code. Yeah, so we got confidence code. So let's do our little two-step out. Books you like to read other than conference code. And kind of leave us with one big, one big thing. Okay. Uh... So I think Lean In is a good one uh, by Sheryl Sandberg that was recommended to me a few years ago, um, just all about embracing being a, a female and a um, predominantly male. I say predominantly male instead of male-dominated. I learned that trick from the very intelligent woman a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but a really great read, a really inspiring read, and just makes you think a little bit, be a little more self-aware. And then... Um, Seven ha- Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is the most recent one that I just wrapped up. So it's like always on my mind. I absolutely loved reading that book um, and I've recommended it to everybody that I know. Um, just so many good little inspiring and like day to day how you can just be happier, be more effective um, and overall get what you want and sort through your goals in life um, and how you interact to, with people on a day-to-day basis. I, I think there were every chapter had a million things that I could take away. Um, so I think that's a, that's a huge one that I'd recommend. Uh, and then going back to Arco, the two books that we have every employee read are raving fans and Fred factor raving fans. Cause that's the client experience that we want to create. And then Fred factor is also just how you go a little bit beyond the day-to-day um, job. Do you know Fred Factor? I don't know. I Raving never, Fans is solid. That's Raving one of those fans. you can read in a day type one. I never, Fred Factor's ever not heard a long of, book either. I've never so. heard of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we always talk about, at Arco, lessons learned. We've, we've talked about that a lot already. And then Fred Factors. What are the little things that you can do to go above and beyond? I love it. Sweet. All right. Yeah. So one big thing. What is it? One big thing. Um, I was thinking about this and there were a couple different ways my, my mind uh, took this question, but... Um, I think what I've learned through the last few years moving down here and then everything with COVID and what everyone was going through at that time is, uh, my biggest takeaway is grace and affording people grace because I've, uh, I've had so many conversations. I, I think that listening is one of my strong suits almost to a fault. I, I listen, I internalize, I think. Um, before I say anything. And that's allowed me to build some really cool relationships, but also learn a lot more about people than I ever could have imagined. And everybody's going through something. Um, so holding holding the team, holding your people to 
a high bar, but also affording them grace when they, when they do maybe make a mistake or knowing that there's something going on behind the scenes has been a huge theme for me over the last couple of years. And, um, that's probably one of my biggest takeaways. That's a huge one. Yeah. Like huge, huge. It, you said it earlier that they're probably beating themselves up far more than you need to anyway. Right. Right. Yeah, so you could be there to lift them up. Yeah. I just need to have their backs. Yep. Well, cool. Lauren, thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah. It's thanks been, for having me. This was fun. Awesome chatting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm honored to be here.